Mm. You think you're going to do this? You think this? Mm. You think you're going to get away with this? Mm. Like, no, he's not alone. He might be in his room alone, but mm. there are millions of us in rooms mm. alone across the world. Millions of us. And we're coming for you. Hi, everyone. Before we start, I want to take a minute to talk about my next book. You may have heard about the story of GameStop in January or February and thought it was all over. You're sadly mistaken. Unfolding Online has been a clash between the corrupt practices of Wall Street and the hive mind of the internet. It's a hot, raging information war pitting retail investors against financial giants swimming in corruption and fraud. The trailer is at the end of this podcast, but if you want to help crowdfund the book or just find out more, you can sign up to my mailing list to get access to a preview of chapter one or go to whenmoon.com to read more about the book. The first 200 people to pre-order the book will get a free pack of To The Moon crayons with their book. I just want to make a quick mention of our sponsors. Namecheap are one of the cheapest places on the internet to get a domain name for your next website. I've used Namecheap for all the sites I've ever purchased and I've found it really easy to use. Spreaker are a rapidly growing platform for podcast recording, publishing and monetization with pricing plans as low as $7 per month. A cheap way to host your podcast and start earning from your back catalogue of shows. Finally, ExpressVPN is the internet's most trusted VPN. Protect your privacy and watch and view content that is location locked. You can even try watching Netflix from a different country. And right now, they're offering 35% off 12 months of ExpressVPN. Please use the links in the description below if you want to support the show. Anyway. Here's the podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of Chatter. Today I am here with Jamie Curran from Tradespotting, a YouTuber, former trader, and a teacher of risk management and a preacher of kindness. Uh, Jamie, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Josh. Pleasure and privilege to be here. And great to see you again. Yeah, yeah, it was uh, great to chat again after our, our, our brief um interview on on your channel it was good so um before we get started why don't we why don't you give people like an idea of your of like your background in finance and and where your expertise comes from my expertise is a nice way of putting it yes so my background well um i got into trading because um i was a, a combination of consistent hard effort and a little bit of luck i knew um that my path to a better life when i was young was through education and that took me um, down many roads that gave me the opportunity to start working in investments for an investment bank um, for the one that's currently the third, third largest institutional holder of um, GME. And uh, there I learned a lot. I'd already learned a lot, obviously, on the way up to it and getting the job. And I'd been offered it when I was at university. So I had known what was coming for a while. Um, I first got interested in finance. I was inspired, ironically, when I was really young, and I read Bonfire of the Vanities, uh, that book where the antagonist describes himself as a master of the universe in his job, Hmm. and that really fascinated me. Um, And so I went on to um, see my dad in the 80s, growing up with a little grey, mysterious box on his desk, which was 
one of the first home trading terminals. So I was always fascinated with it and interested in what was going on there. And you know, you like computers and you can fix some of them, but I couldn't even log into that one. So I was really interested in it and um, I thought and knew that it was a very lucrative career. It was one of the things that you could do that you could get rich at and not work your whole life. So it was something that I really aimed for. Um, and when I got it, when I got the job, um, I had very strong feelings of accomplishment. Um, I loved the offices. It was brilliant having such a high disposable income at a young age. And um, I thought I had a really good life. Um, and I quickly came to learn that actually I was facing um, constant moral dilemmas. Um, I was having to operate under unethical trading strategies. And um, the environment I was in was full of um, gluttonously arrogant um, people. And the final straw came in 2008 when those same people were crying into their bagels as their computers told them that they couldn't even hit OK because everything they were working on was so far out of tolerance. And, um, and I realized that I wasn't doing the thing that I wanted to do, which was to make a difference in the world. And I could tell that if I stuck at it, the difference I'd be making would be net negative. And so at that point, I left. Um, it was after the bank had, had funded all of my trading education they were likely to do anyway. So I was happy at that stage to leave. <laughs> and since then, I've been trading independently and learning myself when, uh, how to get better and better over a number of years, Could coming up on a couple of decades now. And um, yeah, so that's where I'm at. Um, it's about learning and practicing the things I've been taught in the past and trying to pass that information on to other people. So that, that's, that's my background and where I am at the minute. I worked at a number of banks over the years, um, but always came back to either running my own businesses and or doing trading. And when I was, you know, entrepreneurially orientated, those endeavors would have all been funded by trading. So it is possible to do it. And um, I'd be an example of it. But I also recognize that the industry on all sides is full of charlatans and frauds. So that um, has been very influential in the message that I took across, you know, so it's very much about risk management and preaching kindness as opposed to gambling and able to make a quick buck and mm. so that's where i come from and my philosophy <laughs> i love that i i really do it's um maybe i've been listening to too much lex friedman of late but i i really like actually starting to believe that it might be the way like love and kindness might be the way to set the world to rights it's and it sounds so cliche. And if like 20 year old Josh could hear me, he'd be like, you soppy <laughs> bastard. <laughs> I don't know. I reckon you might inspire him a little bit. Maybe, but uh, it's, uh, you mentioned there about the, the culture that you experienced inside uh, the institutions you were working for. And I have spoken to a few people about this. Um, one of the interviews that will be out I think the the one after this is released will be with um, a girl who, who works for the BBC now, but she had started her life in finance and she was very much surrounded by the, the masters of the universe. And 
and we kind of talked a little bit about it, and it got me thinking about it, is do you think it's the nature of dealing with such large sums of money and and such like uh, in a career that influences the rest of the world so much that turns people into that like stereotype or do you think it is the the people who embody said stereotype that get drawn into that career yeah that's a really good question um i saw people change in front of my eyes um but yeah, and the question is, were they really like that beforehand or not? I'm not sure. Yes. Like when you're there, it's very difficult not to be susceptible to that solipsistic, um, uh, you're the center of the world type of um, feeling. Because so many people, there's, there are hard truths that must be recognized in that the the, the, what changes the world is often innovation, R&D, that comes from some um, commercial motivation has um has has brought that into existence and those companies that go from nothing to growing hugely and changing the world really quickly do that through growth that's often facilitated through the financial markets and so there's people that are there that make decisions like well like a or b or c and to be honest there might not be much of a difference between any of them but that one person in that one role has so much responsibility for making that decision that they themselves get full of the idea of self-importance. Mm. And um, and you see it all the time. They don't realize, you know, that, they, they, that in that job there is actually quite a high um, turnover rate. Um, even for people who are successful, don't stay around for that long. But every new person that comes along does <laughs> does go through the same journey it's like a, a slight degradation in their own morality, which is like correlated highly with their own arrogance and well, let's just call it confidence, maybe. But their own, um, I mean, it is a fact that they do make a difference. And so you can see where they'd get that idea of masters of the universe from. It's just what they often forget is that they're just one person. And if they weren't sat on that seat, there would be a different ass on it. And although everyone thinks that they're making their own decisions and they've got free choice, it, often that's an illusion, especially in jobs like this where you're working to a very specific strategy. Um, mm. That strategy, I often find them to be quite unethical, but um, if you can put that behind you, and maybe part of the way of doing that is by you know, spending a lot of money on a Friday and Saturday night and so on, and telling yourself like how you're the master of the universe because you know that really... You're making no, no, you're making no difference at all. Um, all you're actually is just a cog in the machine, and it's mm. other people that are doing the innovation or the R and D that you're making calls on, and those are the real people changing the world. But yeah, you do see it a lot, and it's. And I think you're right in that. Um, there's a big part of it must be self-awareness. You know, how can these people be this way and not see it? Um, and I wonder that myself. But when you're in that office environment and you're in that competitive environment and the bonuses are handed out in the envelopes and on the Friday night, the person who makes the least buys everybody the drinks. Mm -hmm. And when, you, you, you know, you might think that these offices are friendly, professional places, but there's actually <laughs> quite uh, intense environment. So you can see that maybe like the fallibility does catch up with people. Uh, I certainly saw it and hated it and other people seem to be able to ignore it in themselves, which is a unique talent. Mm. 
Yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a, humans are are wonderful at being able to hold like opinions that are completely contradictory or believe things that are completely in in opposition to parts of their own life, but not not see it. Like I guarantee, I'm guilty of it as well in some in some in some way. Um, did did you not to accuse you of the same like arrogance or um, blindness that that we've kind of talked about here? But did you find yourself slipping along that path at any point? Like, did you feel that was there something or like maybe a moment where you thought, oh wow, I wouldn't have done that two years ago or three years ago? Or did did you have that happen to you, or were you kind of the outsider in a, in a way? Well, yeah, that the way you finished that question off is 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 the way I would have begun the answer. Um, at the start, I very much didn't want to be an insider. You know, that's like a, or an outsider. That's a big, big part of what I felt joining the company was I'm brand new, and um, and there's so much aspects to to especially that job, which is learning on the job, that you're only going to get the information and get by quicker if the people are nice to you and they, they tell you how they go about doing things and you can see it in a way that helps you learn. So you want to be seen to be on the inside. But um, so much of what you're doing is um, you'll have a Monday meeting or whatever and they'll talk about, say, for example, Monsanto and um, this new genetic strain they've got of a particular type of corn and how the implications of that are everyone's going to have to keep buying this off them year after year after year. And their marketplaces that are most likely to be um, sold into are those which most desperately need um, some sort of sustainable growth, not being constantly on the hook. Um, mm -hmm. And how you can see the unethical nature of it in the Monday morning meetings. It's talk, told to you in like a really positive sense. But then you are the you know you are the tentacles of evil that go out and ensure that that whole process works the way they wanted because you're such a large holder of that share that you want it to work in your best interest and how that whole thing goes together the insidious nature of it all um it was just too much for me to handle and um you know i i grew up in scotland but moved to ireland um because I faced prejudice here that led to, and I'm back in Scotland now, that led to me leaving. And then when I arrived there, I was on the other side of the same divide mm -hmm. um, and experiencing prejudice there. And so I think that I've always, because of that um, path that took me to the bank, um, I already was aware of the, the, the nature of being inside and outside and also had some pride um, Again, maybe that's a degree of fallibility there, but had some pride in that I was able to resist just becoming one of these people, you know, to avoid the, to avoid either the self-criticism or or the, their wrath. And so, you know, I think people who've had an experience of um, being on the outside before are perhaps more comfortable with the concept of it when they see it on the horizon. And I certainly felt like that at the bank. You know, I had a very Jerry Maguire moment at the end. And uh, worked with my brother Rocky, um, so I was able to. I suppose that sense as well. You know, even though I was on the outside, I was always in an environment where my brother and best friend was only ever a few feet away from me. 
And in that sense, I always had some um, constant to who I was before I walked in the bank right in my face. So I was lucky in that sense. And could I say that it wouldn't have happened to me? No, not necessarily, you know. Therefore, the grace of God go all of us. Anything, any circumstance could have come up in life that would have been um, more important and meant that that job then was more important to me. And at that stage, maybe I would have compromised. And I imagine that the nature of compromise is that ultimately it's very destructive. And so if you don't go down the path too far, then you're all right. And I was lucky in that sense. So I can't Mm. say it wouldn't have happened to me, but it definitely didn't. And I'm grateful. Mm. But you had that that that's got to have been at least helpful in that i guess if people didn't have the connection that you'd had in in your brother or or your friend being there that a lot of people would sort of enter into the room and they would become the person in the room whereas you you kind of had that I'm, I'm still me because there, there's the people from my life. Like people, people can change very quickly if they're in a new environment or I don't know, they adopt like different personality traits or they can be quite malleable to the environment if they don't have those reminders. Yeah, people. Mm-hmm. And you know how group think works and how group mm-hmm. dynamic works. Uh, it's just inevitable that over time people will fall into certain roles and so on. And when there's more dominant personalities in certain groups, then they control how everyone else behaves without even necessarily meaning to or without doing it explicitly. And so it is very common that people will fall into those roles. And you do feel the temptation and all of the, you know, all of the motivations that lead to people making the wrong decisions. You know, when you get an envelope on your desk with a bonus in it and somebody else is getting one like if there's someone sat to this idea this side was me there was someone getting one there too and you know that how they've performed and you know how you've performed and you know you did better and you want to know what's in their envelope because you want you there to be more in yours Mm. yet the whole thing itself is discretionary and um not even part of your actual wage so you know, I felt that, you know, I felt that when the envelopes were getting put down at various times, like there better be more in mine than there are in the people who haven't done as well as me, which mm. it was me myself subscribing to their value system. And I knew that at the time, you know, I knew that that was a little bit of that and that I couldn't separate that completely from the morality of the decisions that I was making as part of this collective. Like I knew I couldn't. And it was partly that feeling that even despite my own conscious objections, that I was still complicit. It was part of that that made me get angry, you know, um, that I didn't have free choice, I didn't have free will, and I couldn't change the environment around me to be better. Uh, And you can't, it's too insidious. Unless you're in charge, you can't. Yeah, yeah, it's difficult to change something alone from the bottom. But uh, speaking of groupthink, uh, <laughs> uh, you have been from the GameStop community the most requested guest that wow. uh, I, yeah, I've had. I don't know how many people asked me to try and get you on the show. Um, so I, I want to take advantage of, of some of the knowledge that you've got and, and see if I can you know, try and get some answers for myself and for, for other people on, on a few things or at least um, get your thoughts on it. So um, just straight up to to start, do you think there has been 
manipulation of the price of of GameStop or of of AMC because that is just that's that's one of the accusations that gets thrown around um, every single day, basically. Yeah, uh, this is a, this is a common question, and it's it's difficult to answer um, because you never know exactly who's asking the question and exactly what position or um, what knowledge they have. So and so they're quite shocked when I respond um, initially by saying every stock is manipulated. They're manipulated intensely, and they're it's done in ways that so many different ways that even if you knew all about them, you'd unlikely be able to hold them all in your head or look at them happening on screen in front of you. You'd have to have some sort of checklist because there's an intense amount of negotiation or. Um, Yes, negotiation on levels that you can't even see. And in, and in order to hide that or obfuscate certain types of behavior, you have to make moves that would look um, counterintuitive to anyone trying to investigate what you're doing. So, you know, on these desks, you can just phone up people. All day. I mean, for, you'll have to anyway, all day, phone other people for various reasons, prices or whatever it might happen to be. And depending on what type of fund you're working on or they're working on, there'll be normal conversations that happen. And you'll ask, like, what are you thinking about this or how are you guys putting things in that direction and you anticipate that person lying to you and to be to manipulate you to advantage of their own trade and so work around that you know and there's that cat and mouse game that everybody plays all the time apart from the odd one or two who again probably <laughs> will do it at the end of the day um, mm -hmm. and so there is no honor among thieves really and so yeah, like on, on, on the levels of the people who are working in the fund managers, junior fund managers, executives, fund associates, everybody up and down that, they all are aware of the fact that they're trying to manipulate and control the narrative. Um, and that's like with regards to other people at the same level of themselves, never mind the lack of information that will ever filter down to retail. So from a perspective of like, is it happening? Yeah, all the time. How is it happening? Well, that always depends on the context of the security you're trading or the um, people that you're trading against. And um, commonly, we all are probably aware by now of um, CNBC and their, um, not to pick out any one particular aspect of the mainstream media, right? They're not all that different mm. from each other. Um, Fox mm. News, I'm not going to say that they're any better, obviously. Mm. But there are um, these avenues to push a narrative that will reach lots of different ears and cost little or nothing in terms of your effort and reward you'll get in return and um, so mm -hmm. and it's so very easy to manipulate the mainstream media just manipulating downstream actors in the industry so you know you can phone up and for example like, i mean lots of different ways you could do it but you could you, you could um influence somebody else to take an action on their account which at the same time you do something similar and then you can say look at this evidence you know and you could show that to five or six other people uh, and then you could influence more decisions which various brokers or investment banks ahead of them will then change their own position or make slightly different decisions and within there you can tell what their ultimate strategy might be because you can see the, the, the slight adjustments they're prepared to make and while you're maybe fighting one particular guy it'll play out in, as, a, as, as loads of different narratives in the mainstream media the stock will be manipulated constantly 
um, you'll fade it as soon as the price opens at the start of the day. You'll boost it right at the last couple of minutes before lunchtime. You'll slam it back down again when you come back from your salad. And you, you'll do things all the time that are exclusively about manipulating the price. And um, you see it constantly on the markets and you're looking at the charts. And I'm a classical chartist. I'd look at the charts and I'd look at the indicators. I'd look at momentum indicators specifically and I'd see the divergence. You know, And you can see, well, here's where the strength is in this trend. Here's where it's weak. Um, I've also commonly will have like option flow trades from dark pools up or institutional order flow up on the charts and I'll be looking at them side by side along with like with the prices that retail are paying and you can see and um, quite clearly at times that you'll be paying higher prices for this on institutional dark pools and while you can't pay lower because of the way that the ATS trading systems work and the uh, nibble pricing and so on that doesn't mean that there isn't the potential for extreme amounts of manipulation on the top side so often you'll see for example, prices coming down, they come in, they put in a low on the charts. Uh, they've gone below previous areas of support and they've put in a new extreme low in price action. And if you're also looking at the options flow or the institutional order flow and the stuff coming through from the dark pools, you can see that the direction of their price movement has changed. Um, it's gone up in advance and in fact they're putting in higher lows or they're putting in new highs. And at the same time, people on retail in live trading are buying it and they're paying less. And you might think, but that means they're getting a bargain. But all that really is, is this manifestation of this manipulation. The institutions don't want to pay any cheaper for it, right? They've already got everything they possibly wanted. And now retail have to catch up. And you think, well, well I'm getting it cheaper because well, that's better. But actually, for every buy, there's a sell. And so when you're winning buying that low, there's actually somebody else that's being robbed because they're making decisions based on what they think is all available information. And in fact, it isn't. And people know about this that have got certain access to the information. Well, as retail traders won't have, you know, in so many areas of the, these um, alternative trading systems, so many aspects of them are hidden from you and me. You and I, they'll, you'll, you'll like the reporting periods, 24 hours on trades and alternative trading systems. So you're not even going to see it till maybe the next day. All this stuff's happening when you're making your own decisions live. And people say, but, well, this is the nature of the market. And it's truthfully not the nature of the market. You know, the only reason alternative trading systems even exist was because um, there was this idea that they would be able to add to the liquidity that's provided in the market. And so liquidity equals capital efficiency, which equals capital accumulation. And so building wealth, this idea of creation of wealth that they think comes from the stock market, they thought they could um, um, increase that and um, add to that flow. And so that's why alternative trading systems were permitted. Um, but then within the trading systems themselves, they now offer um, and have done since 2017 and even earlier than that, um, some very popular ones offer um, maker-taker exchanges. So if you put an order on the books, i.e. provide liquidity within that exchange, then you'll be rewarded with a rebate of the fees that the person who takes that order from the book by doing a market order, they'll pay a fee. That's a mm. taker fee, and that'll be given a rebate, a percentage of it will be given as the maker fee to the guy who put the order in the book in the first place. And so, um, mm. in essence, that seems like a great idea. 
because what's the problem? We're only trying to encourage liquidity. But when you actually think about the dynamics of that situation, what you've gone and done, what you've what you've provided for there is a different mechanism for those liquidity providers to make money. So previous to that, it was that they are providing liquidity that's on either side of the trade so they can make money in the spread so that someone wants to buy it for this price, they want to sell it for some other price. You can offer both parts of that trade. You can make the difference in the spread and you can offset your own risk by taking trades. And that's how market makers operate. And it was how the whole system worked and, and it worked very well. But then with alternative trading systems and with the maker-taker exchanges, there then became this secondary reward in that you're just getting the, the maker fee. And so that was a perversion of the um, objective of these things in the first place. And, and that actually takes away from the incentive and motivation for the market makers to close the spread um, via little exchanges um, all of that liquidity happen off exchange leads to loads of opportunities for manipulation. And then you combine that with the T plus two settlement period and all of the avenues within there to, 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 to influence and manipulate the markets. It leaves it so that um, if you're a market maker, you're genuinely left wondering if it is better to just do the job as it was first intended and perform the role just to and facilitate a better and more competitive spread? Or is it in fact better to just use this huge, huge wealth you've got, um, clump it all together, uh, reduce the velocity of how you use it, and instead just scrape fees and scrape fees? And so all of that added together with, um, with payment for order flow and the, the order routing that comes from the New York Stock Exchange, for example, and goes into all of these various market makers um, exchanges means that there's like um, you're undermined. You know, you on the other side of the trade are undermined because the people that you're there with aren't people you're necessarily trading with on the other side of the trade. They're actually just people that are looking to scoop your scoop money out of your pocket. And so the idea of capital efficiency and capital accumulation is true, but it's only for the huge liquidity provider and it doesn't benefit the market. And that's been happening for years and years now and it's getting worse and worse. And because of the three trifecta of problems, the dark pools, the T plus two settlement period and the, the payment for order flow, you're seeing this um, huge problem now manifesting because the motivations of the people on the trades have been completely changed. And the game you thought you were playing is both rigged and itself completely flipped on its head. And then so then you go in and you think, well, if this is the order flow, if this is the institutional order flow, if this is the option order flow, and this is how retail are performing, and you look at all the different things and you can see, well, actually, um, long is short for, for, for that's the set, in essence, long is short for market mm. makers. And so um, their motivations were previously just to offset risk are now to um, direct the flow of money so that it benefits them. And that was never what they were supposed to do. In fact, it's, it's then encroaching on the idea of free markets. It's anti-competitive. It's anti-American. And um, ironically, a couple of those problems are banned everywhere else in the world apart from in America. <laughs> Yeah. Now, when you're when you're talking about um, that that trifecta of problems, and I guess the, these are three of the three of the main 
main things that have been sort of looked at by the the apes as such um, is dark pools, um, payment for order flows, and uh, the T plus two settlement date. Now, there's obviously other things that they've been focused on, but every time I I look at any of these these practices, um, I get this really weird sense that all that they're doing is creating like shadows in which people can operate and scrape out extra extra cash from the system. It feels like they've all been perhaps not engineered that way, but they're all being abused to create opacity in in the markets and and leave it so that only the biggest traders are the ones who can take advantage of these systems like is that is that a fair yeah, assessment it is, that's, that's exactly what it is they've created an environment where only the um exclusive and privileged few will be able to take advantage they've also cornered markets and done that with their own huge um wealth they've managed to corner aspects of the market makers and um, other um, parts of the value chain which lead to further conflicts of interest and um it's true you know and when i i, I like I, I caught, when I first started in the industry, you know, I was surprised that there would be a constant flow of people. Like what it takes is is there needs to be a constant flow of people losing money, and I was wondering, like, um, how come this doesn't stop? You know, how come people don't realize that on some levels they're being scammed? Um, and I could see myself that it was possible to do the job and it's possible to trade and make money and pay your bills. And I'm an example of it. But at the same time, I know that it's very difficult and people just jump straight in and, and lose money a lot. And why does that keep happening? And I asked, you know, and the people that are experienced, 60, 70 years old, still doing the job because they enjoy it. They all say exclusively there's a new idiot born every minute. And while that isn't necessarily true, it is the inflection of an arrogant, gluttonous person, of somebody who lives in a solipsistic world, who thinks that their life's more important than other people and thinks it's okay to be exploitative. And they mm. build systems upon that exploitation. And so um, I say the markets are very dangerous. Like There's few places and few environments in the world with infinite risk, um, but the markets are one of them. Uh, infinite danger, infinite risk. And now that cryptocurrency is around, it's 24-7, seven days a week. You can lose your money, your life savings, and possibly more um, in an instant. And there's very few places you can do it. And I don't think that the way to treat people who enter that market is to identify them by default as an idiot. And if you are doing that and not trying to help, you're on the wrong side of, that, of history there. Um, and you've only got one life. And are you going to do it? live that life in such a meaningless exploitative way or are you going to do something worthwhile with your time and um, they believe that what they're doing is worthwhile because they've got exclusively profit driven values and they don't mind in that sense that you take advantage of other people and so yeah it's like totally natural for them to look and find and create these dark corners that they'll be able to get that little extra advantage and they do it in ways that we don't yet know. They've done it in other ways that we've they've been exposed recently um, with the different ways they move certain um, obliga debt obligations around. And we've also seen that um, 
over the history of the last 10, 20 years, the revolving door between regulatory industries and these mm -hmm. huge companies who can just afford to pay out, buy out the person who was previously set up all the rules to stop them um, acting nefariously, and then therefore mm -hmm. have on tap all of the answers on how to avoid them and get around them. Mm -hmm. um, and you see it commonly, and I mean, we've said it here, seen it here recently in the UK with David Cameron, you know, despite the fact that he can have perform um, gratuitous sexual acts on a pig when he's at university, he can still get to be the prime minister of our country. And then mm -hmm. despite that afterwards, he can still raise tens of millions of pounds through public money for his friends' businesses in a way that provide really inadequate and, and frankly, dangerous levels of provision of the service that he's been contractually obliged, they've been contractually obliged to provide. So, you know, you think like, how can we deal with it in the financial industry, which, that which is very undemocratic? Well, we can't even deal with it in our own communities. You know, we can't deal with our own leaders being that way. So are people um, corruptible? Yes, does power corrupt? Fucking right. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, my, my take on the pig thing was always that the fact that that came out was, was to me just a, a suggestion that that was the very best of what had happened, like the least mm. awful. Yeah. And that, you like never, of, yeah. in that industry, you would never give all of your blackmail away, would you? You just threaten mm -hmm. the person with a little bit of something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the point of those sorts of acts was to like make them all or bind them all to like the secrets that they hold on each other. Um, uh, and yeah, yeah. Which is, um, quite horrifying that these are the people running the country. Um, <laughs> but still uh, like, a, yeah. yeah, like, uh, but a lot of things you're talking about there are, are, and the stuff that you mentioned, um, sort of a little earlier on is, um, I'm sure you're, you're probably maybe not aware of the, the interview that was from, that was done with Jim Cramer from, uh, I don't think it was meant to ever be released to the public. And I think it was called the, the street insider. And he basically explains, and I got a, a bunch of quotes here from him, how, how a hedge fund can try and manipulate a price. And he, he said that, uh, it's just a fun game and, you know, you can create, uh, yourself an impression that a stock is down, but you, you know, you're not meant to, but you do it anyway because the SEC doesn't understand it. And then he goes on to delineate how you might disseminate FUD as such, like you call up a few journalists. And call a few traders and just sort of um i think he gave the example of apple and you just call someone and be like oh well you know i heard apple aren't gonna or verizon aren't gonna carry the new iphone apple are or being a bit you know they're not they're not playing mm. ball and then all of a sudden they call someone else and then the, the the kind of that just seeps out and and you haven't you haven't spent any money just as you said you've just all you've had to do was uh just make a few phone calls and then um like he he said that you could create you could take like a little bit of money and and create a level of activity that would make it seem like maybe things might happen and like it's all it's all just smoke and mirrors really it's it's and and maybe this is like how it's always been but i think one of the things about this move this this sort of the movement like the apes as such has been to all of these people I feel have gone or almost all of them have gone through the same journey as myself over the past six or seven months is to realize 
the level to which this is the norm. And uh, it's pretty stunning when you when you really find out. <laughs> it's worse. It's 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 so um, enraging. Is what it is. You know, I mean, I've seen it so many different sides of it and um, started YouTube um, partly with the idea of here's a channel that will tell people what it's like from somebody who's done that side of it. You know, not necessarily any better. I mean, there are much better traders than me, but um, somebody who's got this experience professionally and has done it like this way for this amount of time and I've got a good way of delivering the message, I feel, so I put it across like... This and 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 we talk about trading, risk management, technical analysis, and my particular way of doing things from my professional experiences all relies heavily on looking at open interest. So that was always the way I talked about things. And then GME comes on to the my comes into my attention partly because of that focus on open interest and how it looked, which is, speaks directly to the manipulation that w w w was was then later revealed. And um, and so I was doing the YouTube videos and the whole point of my channel was about helping people get to a degree of financial literacy and then so that they could, you know, self-empowerment and then via self-empowerment, you can change the world around you and you can change your community. And, and I think that there is a bit of a degree of a crisis in mental health um, across the world, especially in young men who feel like that they can't make a difference. And I think it's being exploited by nefarious actors. And I think that people like that really want to make a difference. And unfortunately, they're a little bit extra vulnerable. So I feel like there's, um, I, I came into this idea of putting across a message with that very, very much at the top of my mind and how to handle the fact that the people who'd be attracted to doing this would also perhaps be quite vulnerable. So I'm, I'm, I'm very protective. And when I was um, doing these things, I was obviously looking more and more at GameStop and seeing how Roaring Keith Gill was handling it himself, you know, so mm. admirably. Mm. And then was watching and doing a live stream in the congressional hearing where he was talking about um, what, what, how he perceived the market from a perspective of a retail trader. And um, the whole thing was set up in quite what felt to be quite an accusatory manner and directed at him mm. and, and, and the retail when um, it had only happened because Vlad and Ken had made sure the uh, allegedly had made sure the buy button disappeared. Mm. Um, so I was watching that um, congressional hearing and, and to that point, most of my um, message had been delivered in a humorous tone and I'd never really got that angry. And um, it got to the point where somebody asked Roaring Kitty how many people were in the room with him. And of course he said he was alone. And then they asked Ken Griffin how many people were in the room with him. And he said, I think, eight or nine. And those eight mm -hmm. or nine people were clearly highly paid lawyers who were um, making sure he said exactly the right thing at exactly the right time. And I got so, so angry that that imbalance in the markets had made its way to Congress and was facing down a guy just like you or me in an incredibly intimidating environment when he was, to many people, an example of how you can change your life and change the world. Mm -hmm. um, and I felt like... Mm -hmm. 
you think you're going to do this? You think this? Mm. You think you're going to get away with this? Mm. Like, no, he's not alone. He might be in his room alone, but mm. there are millions of us in rooms mm. alone across the world. Millions of us, and we're coming for you. Yeah, that is a fucking powerful message. It's, it's. Uh, I think you're right that the 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 hearing was was very accusatory. But uh, one of the things that really stood up was how he handled that. It was like there was ice in the man's veins. He was so calm. He had like, I, I just and and I've started one of the chapters of the book just talking about the fact that he was able to like insert a meme in amidst being like accused of market manipulation and leading this charge against Wall Street because, you know, how dare the individual, you know, try and do the same reckless gambling that, you know, hedge funds have been getting away with. And he, he's just like, yeah, I am not a cat. I was just like, this is incredible. <laughs> and it's um, it's like amidst these accusations uh, and, and, and an environment that, you know, might see some still some serious, serious um, impacts upon um, not just the U.S. market, but the global markets. And he's he's decided to make a joke about it. And yeah. I, it's yeah, which was which I find to be the most stunning part of the, the whole thing. And it was amazing to watch that combination as well of of the the powerful moment and that this like really really consequential consequential thing that was happening and he was just throwing a joke in there and it it, it was it was the it was the perfect embodiment of the whole movement that it was mm. a serious serious thing but you know we can have a few jokes in there at the same time yeah the crack it's like having the crack you know <laughs> reminds me of, of ireland you know like speaking truth to power but doing it in a humorous way because what else can you do when you're faced with literal tragedy all over the world mm. and there's this mm. problem with certain people, this huge imbalance of certain people are doing, and he's there. And it's so obvious that that imbalance is now taking its way right up to the very top. And there he is, sat there, doing that. And that, what a legend that he was able to handle it in that way. Mm. I don't know if yeah. I would have been able to constrain, constrain my emotions as well as he did. It was fantastic, and that, and uh, a really yeah. good reflection on, on as you call them, and we, as we're obviously known now as the apes. Not really positive reflection. And it's like we're lucky to have people like you who are articulate and trenchant and are able to communicate that moment as it happened and for, for the importance that it was because it will become a cultural touchstone. You know, it's like the map to a modern revolution nowadays. I mean, revolutions may be too strong a word, but he's a renegade and uh, he's making a difference in the world around him. And, and, and again, not just through his own ability to change it, it like, to change his financial environment like he's literally changed the world uh, and in that sense he's such a huge inspiration you know and, and we're lucky mm -hmm. to have people like yourself who are documenting it because if you weren't you know people would mm -hmm. be using it for their own agenda yeah yeah i mean i'm i yeah i'm just trying to do do my best to to, to yeah figure out because it's i think I think that anyone that's not encased within the movement at the minute is 
almost oblivious to how significant this is. And and like my mum like gets asked, it's like, oh, what's Josh doing at the minute? So like, oh, he's writing a book, but I've no idea what it's about. I'm like, right, fair enough. Like, I'm not going to try and sit down and explain it to you. But it's it, how significant do you think this this moment is for 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 the future of like the, for the whole of probably the whole of like the developed world almost? I think it's because the the ripples will spread out, and because. Um, GameStop is still, I think, the most widely held stock across most of Europe, Australia, um, parts of Asia. Um, I don't know about South America, actually, but uh, it's it's the reach is incredible. But how 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 important do you see this moment being? Well, I've had a number of false dawns, and. I've often looked at um, these sorts of, you know, when you when you hope for change, um, and then the zenith of of your hope is also when it dies. You know, like you you, you see the the mm. new elected official get in, and, and you've put so much faith in what they've had to say, uh, what they've said, mm. and then either it's the their own perspective seems to change, or the the gears of power are just so slow to move or those agencies that are supposed to represent and protect you ultimately have other agendas and other um, stakeholders whose own goals are conflicting with your own. And so I've, I've, I've had that feeling before myself and think that also as a trader, you're very much... Um, better off if you're able to remove the x-axis you know if there is no timeline on your success then mm. it's like um well let's call it like schrodinger's cat you know we'll never be defeated the apes around germany france britain everyone that's mm. holding in scotland you think they're gonna, gonna paper hand for kenny g literally not gonna <laughs> happen the, uh, japan korea you know all, all Africa, everywhere that people hold it, they are they are doing it for more than just profit. So defeat is is not an option. You know, even if we wanted to give up, we couldn't because we're being constantly exploited all the time. You know, there is no giving up and going to some peaceful settlement. It's um, complete and utter surrender at this point. Um, the markets have been so perverted and so um, undermined by these main big players that it just will not go on. The status quo is not acceptable. It's, mm. it, it's That's the bottom line for us. You know, people say, what's the floor? It was 1,000, then it was 69,000, then it was a million, then it was 2 million, then it was 5, mm. then it was 7, then it was 10, then it was 15, then it was 19.5, <laughs> and then it was 20 in jail. <laughs> There's no way people are going to give up on this moment, on this movement, on this chance, on this fight, this time, their time. People aren't going to pass that up so they can go and play PlayStation. In fact, they'll buy extra PlayStations to make sure that it happens. And um, mm. I don't think that I don't think that we should look at it and say, "Will this be the the moment?" It's this is our time. 
there will not be another time. You know, of, of all of the different injustices, of all of the communities that are downtrodden, that are pushed around, of all of the prejudices that are put into society to control different groups, all of them, all of them are made worse by this problem. Everybody who's in any struggle is in this struggle and it's our fight and we're fighting together and whether we like it or not we're on the same side you're are we've uh, since starting this i've met people who i would have had no occasion to ever contact or speak to in my entire life and perhaps would have assumed i wouldn't get on with hundreds of them who i'd now say are some of my closest friends thousands of them who i respect and would never betray millions of them who I'd stand behind if they were in a fight, stand at their side, stand in front of them. There's nothing I would I, I abandon people that have got into this with me for. And, and I know that other people feel the same. Hmm. So I don't think that if it matters, if we think about when or if, I think it's now, I think it's permanent, I think it's our fight, and I think we cannot give up. It doesn't matter about winning. It's just about never giving up. Never. Because... Hmm. The fight, in truth, will take multiple generations. The enemy is so insidious that they live within us, not just figuratively, but literally among us are many bad actors there on the sponsorship and behest of our enemies. And so we have to keep going. There is no defeat. There is no surrender. This is our time. This is our fight. Man, you can be all riled up. Like maybe it's the Scottish accent again, like Braveheart flashbacks. But you're, you're, yeah. And I think, I think you're right. I don't think that people will give up. Like the community has internalized that as well. It's like don't talk about dates. And uh, it, it started as something where maybe a lot of people were jumping in and going, "Well, it could be a couple of weeks. Then we're gonna have the squeeze, and it's all gonna be over." But now it's, it's, it's. It's it's become so much more than that. It's it's moved beyond just like this tiny little get rich quick scheme. The the education that we were talking about of people has exposed to them the level of fraud and they've they've decided that this is their hill upon which they're willing to die. And like yeah. not maybe not literally, but <laughs> it's it's so incredible to watch it happen because people are they're and they're not just like saying, here's the position that I hold. I'm going to hold it. They're going, give me more. Come on. Like, let's, let's like stack this big sort of boxes of TNT that we're preparing for the global <laughs> financial markets. It's just like, come on, like, give me some more. Like, give me some more. It's like, <laughs> which is, which is stunning in itself is, is that people, yeah, that, that there's been, there's so much anger as well in, in the movement and, but like so much positivity at the same time. Uh, it's it's incredible to witness and 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 i think the thing that the hedge funds or or kenny g or whatever doesn't get is that they're they're not fighting people and this is like the the thing that i'm still trying to figure out quite how to articulate it it's like they're fighting a bunch of individuals who are already angry at the system but who are larping as the apes that never give up, who don't know what they're doing. They just buy and hold, buy and hold. And you can't defeat people who are playing a meme. 
because you can't kill a meme. Like, <laughs> people tried to shut down um, Peppy the Frog, but it's still everywhere. Right, like, you cannot, it doesn't matter how insidious that idea is. And this one is is not, like, anywhere near the level of, like, sort of controversy that Pepe the Frog was. This is a beautiful idea. <laughs> I love the way you describe it there. LARPing and beautiful. And that's exactly what it is. No, and um, some people, um, quite reasonably and understandably, find my um, way of communicating to be quite aggressive. Um, and it's true, it is. You know, I do advocate for um, financial violence against these entities. I do think that that would have um, a powerful message and it would send, like it would echo, you know, not just um, making the shorts cover, which is like, you know, getting them back on the path of righteousness. No, I, I, I want to, those who found the speckles in our eyes but can't see the moat of their own, I want them destroyed. Mm -hmm. I want that destruction to be all fire on that hill that we committed to that's seen all over the markets. And like you say, it is a meme, you know, and that's so true what you say, they're indestructible. The more you try to get rid of a meme, the more it, funnier it gets and the more it comes back. You know, it wasn't like we're a natural born reaction to these guys, you know, it, it, it forms every part of our life. The meme culture that's come around was our generation and they don't understand it, nor do they understand us. And they think mm -hmm. that they can fight us by employing those tactics and psychological warfare against us that worked against the boomers, those people who grew up with um, very different opportunities to the subsequent couple of generations. Mm. And at this stage, you know, it's like that phrase, we've got nothing to lose. You know, you've already taken away all of our freedoms and opportunities. Um, you control our idea of free will and free choice. And you try to shut down our memes. No. Yeah. <laughs> how else do we fight back against this? You know, and mm. how often does it stand still and give us the opportunity to do so? Yeah. Yeah. There, there, there really isn't much, much opportunity for the. Yeah. We, we've people have found their, their, their revolution because um, I can't, and I'm going to butcher this quote, but it's like you start like. First, people will re, re, like they'll they'll try the revolution at the ballot box, and when that doesn't work, they'll go for the the soapbox and they'll preach on the street. And when that doesn't work, then then they'll turn to the the financial world. And then I think I can't remember what the the box that they say is. And then the final one is the uh, is the the Tinder box, um, and and we're slowly moving along that that like progression. And we but. Yeah, I think I think people have found their like this is where we stand moment, which is uh, is beautiful again. Like like we said to to watch, um, you kind of mentioned like the psychological warfare aspects. Uh, to what extent do you think that there has been like the conversation manipulated? Because I'm I'm speaking to um, a couple of former mods at the minute, and uh, they've they've been very helpful in trying to figure this out. And I've also spoken to um, Alexander Cohen, who is currently, to your point about how this moves forward, building the terminal with Dave Lahr, um, which is going to be like the central hub where they want it to be for 
providing retail investors with the same level of information that hedge funds have access to and building like a Reddit-esque platform. I think they called it OnlyFans for Finance. Um, <laughs> um, in order to give people the power to fight back beyond just this. They're interested in building building on this revolution, which is super interesting. But yeah, sorry. W what extent do you think that that conversation has been manipulated online? Yeah, um, it's very difficult to perceive, you know. Um, it's, it's, what do they call it? Doppler effect. I mean, you, you can only mm. really notice it in um, how people react to you or in the absence of certain types of evidence. It's very difficult to know as and when at the time. I know a number of times I've been sucked into conversations on the internet, whether that be live on my stream or on a different social media platform with someone who seems to have genuinely good intentions. They come from a place of hoping to dispel ignorance, um, their own ignorance, and they present it as a question to you. And then they try to um, pick apart your response. And initially, you know, when you direct your attention to these people, you try to be helpful. So you give them like maybe a bite side, a, 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 a takeaway bit of information, or you, you don't understand the full extent of what they don't know. So you're approaching it with mm -hmm. some information you imagine to be helpful, but of course, inevitably, it's not the whole story. And then they'll try to like put things and say, oh yeah, but this, oh yeah, but that. And, and you know, you'll find yourself having a, an hour long conversation on the internet when only meant to be a response to someone's tweet or a quick conversation when you were out having a live stream where that person is deliberately putting out false information which had they the level of um, investigative interest that would be necessary to dictate this conversation they're currently having with me, then they would definitely already be aware of this little bits of information. And at that stage, it's obvious to me in the back and forth, but to the people who also have just arrived and don't know what's going on, it can seem that because the person's being reasonable and they're asking mm. polite questions, that perhaps their intentions are good when actually it's just to create fear, uncertainty and doubt in your mind, you as the audience, because they know they're not going to change my mind. And that's mm -hmm. like a very small and um, r relatively trivial example. There's also people who've got extreme, like people with lots and lots of followers who may or may not have a financial background before who um, control lots of people's thoughts and, and, and dictate like certain levels. They'll even jump in and be quite enthusiastic and pro-GME for a period of time. And then once they've got some credibility, turn around and say, ah, oh, shucks, you know, it just isn't going to happen. Or something far more destructive and far less, far, far more dishonest. Hmm. You see that all the time. And, and, and it's, it's led to so much fragmentation too because of the nature of these um, bad actors, it's led to fragmentation, it's led to a degrees of paranoia, it's led to, to people being less open to talking to each other, and it's, that's the ultimate effect that, that that side of the trade is going for. They don't necessarily mm. want to convince me, and they don't necessarily want to convince you, but if they can divide and conquer, then maybe their narrative will win out. And so it's very much within their interests. You know, how you, you referenced Kramer's um, interview, which I have indeed seen, but I, can't, I couldn't remember, but you were saying things about it, but he's phoning traders and journalists and that, and it did remember mm -hmm. something about that. I'll link Just it in the description that, for people. Yeah, good shout. Just as he did that, 
the same thing happens here uh, with these people trying to control the narrative, trying to change people's opinions. And ultimately, prices are driven by speculation. So if there's more and more negative speculation or there's speculation that proves then to be disappointing, that all plays into the hands of people on the other side of the trades, which is partly where this idea of like no dates comes from. You know, like, well, let's manage our own expectations. Um, um, but like you say, like we were talking earlier, if you, if you just completely remove the access, x-axis from that at all and say, well, this is a permanent war that we can't ever forget, give up and we'll never forgive, um, mm. then 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 you're maybe less susceptible to it. And, and I found it very difficult myself to counter this conversation because it does like when you're doing a live stream and especially when i was we might have lots and lots thousands and thousands and thousands of people watching and it's like a q a sort of vibe then you'll get so many questions and it's hard to differentiate between the people who genuinely want to understand and those who've got some sort of agenda uh, it's very very difficult and it's and you, and you later usually only learn later when you see that same username or sock puppet or whatever it happens to be sometimes it is a genuine person pop up somewhere else and they've got a different story they've got a different narrative or they're pushing some other and you know and you think well that's just not consistent and and those sort of like stuff like that happens all the time and then i mean i don't know how many emails i've got an, an awful lot of them more than any other topic that people have got in touch with me via email about is is PR companies that ask me to stop talking about GameStop and offer to pay me to talk about these other things. Often they're perfectly not normal things that I would talk about anyway, but the exclusive part of the agreement is that I'm not to talk about GameStop and that their email often concludes phrases such as without prejudice. And then you'll check where that PR firm comes from, you know, and it's like, is a mailing address and the website was created in January this year and they probably aren't really a PR firm. In fact, if they are, they're operating on behalf of some umbrella organization and, and these and so much of that, plus all the fake social media profiles and then the cause and the, diff, the, 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 the fractious nature between various groups. And it might be people within the GME communities online which sounds silly, but you know there are millions and millions of people across these different communities, and they are very serious places. Um, mm -hmm. Apart, there's also people like in the, in in AMC that will say negative things about GME, or people in GME who say things about AMC that's over and above the truth of the narrative, and is about and is intentionally designed to cause. Um, problems between people. So um, you and I were talking briefly at the start and um, before we started filming about AMC and GME and different aspects and positive things about both of them. And there's people out there instead, though, who will be saying things just to make people think one is better than the other. Mm. Exclusively so that they can control the next thought that that person has. And so it's a very good idea, I find, if, if anybody tries to tell you something or they don't have evidence or you're suspicious of them, to just discount it, ignore them and go somewhere where you'll get better information. You know, you don't have to take everything in from everybody. And if somebody seems weird, ignore it. And I've I, I found it that, that to be the, my approach now is um, the information with regards to where the, why this is all happening is is out there there are aspects to it that you could illuminate on you could explain you know 
where it is that perhaps that, that, that debt obligations are moved around, how they hide certain things at different places, and you can illuminate and enlighten certain aspects of the conversation for people. But people who come in and, and they've got this idea that it's just impossible and that it's it's never going to happen and that if it was going to happen, it wouldn't be people like you and I that were able to make that difference. Um, this level of FUD, sometimes backed by another real person or sometimes this is just some individual with that opinion, the way I feel that I've decided to respond to it is to say that um, it's akin to the price targets that a lot of people are looking at for this thing, is that they're not within the realms of reason anymore. Um, we're not going to get sucked into this conversation of what's reasonable, because mm. what's reasonable is actually what's going to be dictated to you by somebody who thinks they know what's best for you, and then on top of that thinks they have a better understanding of realistic and what you deserve and how your life should work. And the truth mm. is, that's not the way it's, you know, reason's overrated in that sense. Um, you don't have to reason with people. It's not your own, it's not your obligation to, to enlighten everybody. If they don't understand, that's on them. And so I say we're never, ever, ever going back to reasonable land. Mm -hmm. No sell, no sell, I think is the, the phrase we're using now. But would you mind uh, sharing a few screenshots of some of those emails with me? I'd be really intrigued to see what they're saying. Um, sure. Uh, you still I, have them. Uh, probably not, not... best to send them over after they're well oh, yeah. on the street. But, yeah. No, not right now. I will now, do that. Just, sure, yeah. Um, I was also I talking with um, somebody else who I've met through my uh, the subreddit I run there um, who was looking into you know, the IP addresses where these are all coming from and that, because they're mm. so very similar, you know, even the email templates, they've just got like a slightly different header color or whatever, and they've got a different registered address and you're like, but this is the chances of this being from somebody else, you know? Mm. So I've got somebody look, like trying to help me look into do that sort of thing and see like, is it all actually coming from the same place? Because that yeah. would be very strange. But yeah, I'll happily share that stuff with you. It'd be good yeah, to get your... Be yeah, and I'd love to be able to, yeah, because uh, it's, yeah, part of the, the trouble of trying to write this book is that it's trying to parse out the real from the, the fake. And that is mm -hmm. um, seeing, because like, people can accuse hedge funds of doing this, but to see like actual evidence of it is a, is a whole nother uh, kettle of fish. Yeah. Do you have time for one more question? I know, I know, Go for it, Josh. quite a lot of your time. Um, so, uh, I, I, I'd hope to we we get to um, some some more sort of like technical things. Uh, this has been far exceeds uh, the sort of yeah conversation I thought we were going to have. It's been wonderful to be able to talk to you and your uh, your advocation for pe people. People maybe don't like get what the Scottish and Irish are like. They can seem very aggressive. Um, people said you you they yeah your method of communication yeah. was quite aggressive. But I mean, I guess it's like, yeah, that's that's very standard in I don't know what it is in Celtic places. Yeah, say right. <laughs> I mean, we save our greatest insults for our friends. Mm -hmm. you know, that's who we are. You know, we, we wouldn't bother going out of our way to annoy somebody we didn't care about. Mm. Yeah, it's far more but fun. That's just to... a joke, yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's just it's just it's just banter, isn't it? I mean, you recognize yeah. that when you live somewhere freezing cold and your opportunities are cut very short and the perhaps, you know, especially um, in places like Ireland with the history of that island and the people that live there and the conflicts between different communities and then this new generation of people that are born into other people's problems, 
you know mm. how do you handle that whole thing without a degree of like um humor and perhaps maybe a tough streak yeah yeah i mean but yeah fire away i mean i'm happy to answer more technical questions too whatever you want to talk about josh um yeah so like one of the things that i'm currently looking at for 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 writing is um the the number of accusations there has been of hedge funds uh using etfs to um hide their short positions essentially and I spoke very early on in, in my, my writing to Lily Frankus, who is the head or an analyst, at least at, uh, like a, someone high up in Salience Capital. So they're looking at, they have like a, a program that's called the Nope chart and it looks at options markets and don't ask me more information because that's as much as I understand about what they're doing. But she told me that she didn't really believe that this was a possibility, that there was no way that hedge funds were like shorting ETFs, buying the other, com- like buying, like going in, exchanging it for the underlying, uh, underlying securities and then going and buying the other side of the trade for every single share except, say, GME and AMC and using that to both short the stock and like kick the can down the road. She basically was like, that's not happening. Do you think that that's a possibility of it happening? And have you seen any evidence that you think that's actually real? Well, I would say that I respect that opinion a lot, you know, and I've had the same conversation with myself. Um, How (laughs) would it be possible for this to happen um, without the fund managers that are responsible for those ETFs knowing about it? Um, But what... but, but before I draw any conclusion on it, I'd say that it's good to talk about what these things are and how the mechanism perhaps is being used and, sh- and, and is it possible. And um, mm. I think if you investigate it, you can see that it is possible. It just might rely on a degree of collusion, but you don't know. And so you can't go draw conclusions. You can say, though, if you understand the failure to deliver thing, right? They're, cre- they're created in two main ways, of course. They're created through um, the non-settlement of options contracts or naked shorting. And the result in FTD, um, the debt held by the defaulter, or the, the failure to receive, which is what it is on the counterparty, that's you, the, the, the retail trader normally, um, that, mar- that, that um, failure to deliver is priced at a mark-to-market rate and deducted from the debtor's total collateral. So holding an FTD is negative to your trading position, especially if it's there and obvious. Um, And so are they being um, hidden in these ETFs, these um, exchange-traded funds? Not all that different from mutual funds I used to work on. Um, um, Exchange-traded funds are... um, a basket of securities, and if you own shares in that ETF, then you own um, a, a proportion of that underlying portfolio. Um, and that's how exchange-traded funds work. Slightly different from mutual funds in that they're traded all throughout the day, and um, mutual funds it's like at the end of the day. Um, and so that's all the way these things work. Um, and as if you're a, a manager of an ETF, people assume that they themselves are all completely legit, which mostly they are, but they think that it works in a really intuitive fashion, that if you hold 
shares in an ETF, then that ETF holds shares in the companies underneath that it says it does, and mm-hmm. it holds exactly the right amount to meet all of its obligations at, at any given time. But the truth is that um, depending on a particular fund manager's strategy, um, it may it may well not work like that. You know, it may well be that they have to purchase or sell shares at any given time in order to meet the underlying benchmarks that control how they operate their fund. And within that, there are an awful lot of opportunity for messing around. Let's put it like that. The same way that within the T plus two, you think that means there's two days until settlement period. When you actually add it all up, it looks like there's closer to 35. And then mm-hmm. you think, well, within those 35 days and these five or six different operations, it gets to a final decision. What else is happening? And, and it's, and it's it, it, that question is interesting. I don't know the answer to it, but I can look, and I did look at and as it happened, follow along with the evidence and see that as those ETFs were the, the ones that people talk about, you know, when looked mm-hmm. at January and they saw the GME share prices go up and they saw in and around there, the top of the peak that it seemed to be that the, F, the failures to deliver for GameStop were going down. Mm-hmm. The number of them went down, though, by the equivalent amount that they went up in what was the first one? XRT was XRT, the first ETF. Yeah. yeah. And then people were like, well, wait a minute, that doesn't quite add up. And then they looked across and saw it at IWM, um, mm-hmm. the iShares ETF. It was like, there's your missing amount. And it added up nearly perfectly. And it was kind of mm-hmm. suspicious. And then in April, when um, the FTDs and GME seemed to go down again at that one point where I was looking at these things and open interest and I saw both of them go down currently and I was like what's going on with open interest there and what's going on with these FTDs and looked back and saw again it was the same story that um, well the dollar value of the FTDs was dropping more than the price which would suggest that the FTDs themselves were being closed there was actually across the ETF market that holds GameStop that was also then going up again by the equivalent dollar amount. Hmm. So there's two parts to that then I look at and think a question. You know, the first is, would it be possible for these people to go through the machinations of shorten every like go long on every other one in that fund and short this one and then swap out securities from different trades into different places. And I know that it's practically, it's difficult, but it's possible. If you've got collusion from fund managers, it's a whole lot easier. It's so easy um, that it's, that it would be silly to say that it isn't happening. So you'd have to look at the, and um, people in the, the those particular funds, those particular ETFs, and those particular people working on them, and I think they'd be a great place to you to direct your questions, Josh. Um, mm. And I can tell you that there's people qualified and experienced people who also look at it that fact with great suspicion, and who I would have spoken to about this in January and February, who say like the people you spoke to say that's unlikely. Um, I just don't see it. Now saying mm. about this other factor, when you show them the evidence, they say that's very unusual, and well, they won't commit to saying as the, the, that you're right because this correlation isn't necessarily proof. Obviously, it mm. is very suspicious, and um, and I think that it's well worth um, further investigations in that. And if it is does prove to be true that people that um, administer and 
fund associates, executives, managers, then ETFs have been colluding with investment banks to um, add to their underlying portfolios in such a way that they're taking perhaps FDDs as opposed to, or synthetic shares as opposed to others. Um, that would be suspicious too, because the mechanism for FTDs isn't like here's this black hole, you know, where it's not like Swan Station on Lost, where everything gets printed out and sent through a little tube <laughs> and then goes out in a big hole at the back of nowhere where no one ever reads. I mean, <laughs> FTDs are a real thing; they're real mm -hmm. collateral, real debt obligations, you know. And you can, um, if you're holding an FTR, the other side of an FTD, you can just write to the exchange and notify them that there's been a failure to deliver, and mm -hmm. that you want a buy-in. And the facilitate the, the exchange will then support you in getting your shells elsewhere that, that you were obligated to receive from the defaulter. And then they'll make the defaulter pay the difference. And if they don't make the defaulter pay the difference because they refuse to acknowledge the buy-in, they'll make their broker pay the difference. And in this trade, they are their own broker. So mm. what we need to do is if we do find ourselves facing a existential issue with regards to these FTDs, is that we can mobilize, we can take advantage of the systems that are in place at the minute, and we can create a buy-in, a forced buy-in of these FTDs. And that's possible, you know, and there's a lot of FUD out there with people that talk about how you can't do this and FTDs are never going to work and who knows what people's um, agenda is in pushing that message. But the truth is that there are mechanisms in place so that debts don't disappear. It's the whole way that this financial system is supposed to work. It's the only thing that you can rely on is forced liquidations and forced recalls. Recalls being just the other side of a liquidation. So if you're going short, then you're supposed to have borrowed shares in order to be short. And if it mm -hmm. gets to the stage where there aren't very many shares available, then you as the lender of those shares can recall them. You don't even need to give the person notification of it. And that works the same way as a forced liquidation does. And borrowing shares, you're obligated to that contractual agreement that you are, you are that can happen to you. So um, if it was that we were able to um, really because uh, 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 we can't organize and we can't mobilize and we can't um, do anything that's against the rules. But if we mm. could be more aware of those other large players and those people that would help facilitate um, the, the, the idea that nobody will be left holding some FTD that won't in the end mean that their, that their credit is, their, their due is given, um, there are mechanisms we can take. There are things we can do. And having all of these different communities online where people can um, communicate with each other and advise each other on the best way to, to make their own decisions means that um, even if they are trying to hide it, we'll find it. Even if they mm -hmm. do think they can get away with it, we'll catch them. And there's nowhere they can hide. Sure, they can hide their short positions temporarily, but they can't hide themselves, you know, and that's why you say like it goes from one box to the other and it ends up at the, the tinder box. Nearly said it ends up the box that you use to throw through their window. But that's what happens, you know, <laughs> um, the natural consequence of things is such that the truth comes out and people hold the power and people ask can speak the truth to power, whether it be on a box or with a box. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That seems like a, a really nice place to end it. Um, 
on last yes or no question, actually, does retail own the float? Ha! Does retail own the float? It mm. retail owns the float. I've seen evidence that I, with my own eyes, to say that retail owns the float three hundred and fifty percent. I've seen evidence other people have collated that looks like they they own the float nine hundred percent, and then I've seen evidence that other people I trust believe in that says that there could be significantly more than that. Um, and uh, one thing I'd like to I'd like to say, Josh, just to end this, okay. the, the, my contribution here is to, to thank Please. everybody that helped me get the platform I have in the first place. And one of them is yourself recently coming on my show, helping me talk about these things in a way to other people and get your um, way of communicating out there, which everybody loved. Thanks so much. And then... Um, all the other people that have been involved in GameStop and helping and, and everyone who's on a mission to make sure that they, to help people change the world and none above all than my brother Rocky who started his own YouTube channel, inspired me to start mine and I wouldn't be here without him. So thanks Rocky and thanks Josh and thanks everybody else. No problem man, it has been an absolute pleasure. Uh, thanks so much for your time. The animal dragged a child around its enclosure. The child had fallen into that enclosure. Officials are now defending their actions. ABC's Alex. A few things I am not. I'm not a cat. I am not an institutional investor, nor am I a hedge fund. There's no panic selling. These people, you know, they may have bought at $4, sat through $400, went back to 40, went to 350, back down to 110, and they have not sold. All they've done is bought more. And there's no answer for that. There's no, they, they, you know, it, it is like art of war mastery by a bunch of idiots who should know better. And they're just, they're just like, I'm not fucking leaving. Fly me to the moon. Let me play among the stars. Let me see what spring is like on Jupiter and Mars. What's been happening on Reddit and in social media and in the marketplace has never been seen before. Uh, to short 70, 60, 80% of a company, let alone 140%, I think a lot of people universally believe something is wrong there. They're powerful, they want to stock hire. It's child's play. Why ever sell into the maw of Wall Street? Yeah, Reddit bets. Why? 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 But everyone's wrong. It's like the big short again. Or more like the big short squeeze this time, right? So here we got the fox guarding the hen house. And one of the hens is complaining. The fox is out to kill us. And the farmer says, I'm sorry, the fox is in charge of the hen house. Whenever there is not billions, but like trillions of dollars involved in something, it I, I argue that nothing is off the table. The way they have absolutely cheated, stolen, robbed everyday people so all our hedge fund billionaire friends can get out and not get killed is one of the most remarkable, illegal, shocking robberies in the history of, in plain sight. Super Stonk and the other communities that have emerged are a hive mind, the likes of which we have never seen before. It's madness and brilliance, insanity and genius all rolled into one. It's very possible that Citadel will be gone in a few months. And, and not just Citadel, 
but the entire financial system has the potential to come crashing down. These crooks continue to gamble recklessly with the world economy and this could be the moment that they finally get their justice. You've got maybe 10 million people doing this who now own, you know, probably more than 100 million shares and eventually, you know, they might own everything. 